This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Culturally, Christmas is a musical time of the year. You probably have your playlist set. It's been rolling. And uh, you're not tired of it yet. Maybe you are. Um, What so happens that Christmas in the scriptures is a very poetic time of the year. And we've been looking at the songs that surround the arrival of Jesus. And today we're going to conclude our musings By looking at the song of Simeon, I want to read Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. Christmas is a time for spiritual reformation, movement of the Spirit, and consolation. Christmas is a time for spiritual reformation, a movement of the Spirit, and consolation. Let's find these things in the text before us. First, Christmas is a time for spiritual reformation. Simeon is not anyone in particular, uh, a person of high regard or high standing in society. He's not the priest. He doesn't appear to be a dignitary of any sort. He's an ordinary human being, which is good news for the rest of us because he is suddenly a very relatable character. We are ordinary people. And Simeon experiences Christmas the way I want to. Simeon experiences Christmas the way I want to. He experiences Christmas the way God intended us to. Why? Why? How is he able to do that? I think it's a two-part answer. On the one hand, Simeon is righteous and devout. That's how Luke describes him. Those are not place fillers in the scriptures. Um, They're there on purpose. Luke is spending verse 25 describing Simeon so that when Simeon encounters the baby Jesus, his response to Jesus makes sense to us. When we see Simeon encounter the baby Jesus, we see his response, we want to know, why does he respond that way? Why is he like that? 
Well, Luke is, is setting us up. He's showing us, here's why he responded to Jesus the way he did. On the one hand, he responds to Jesus the way he did because Simeon is righteous and devout. That is, he's a man who walked with God faithfully. God has been uppermost in Simeon's thinking. Simeon's desire has been to have a robust commitment to the covenant that God made with the Jewish people. Simeon has been the kind of man that upon inquiring God's opinion of Simeon, you were likely to hear God say, oh yes, you know, Simeon is a man after my heart. He pursues me, he listens to me, he wants to know me, he honors me with his, with his words, with his actions, with his attitudes, he honors me with his time, his talent, and his treasure. Simeon is a committed God follower, and Christmas is a rich experience for him because of it. Christmas falls far short of our expectations so often. Not because the party was lame, or the turkey didn't come out right, or the presents fell flat. Christmas falls far short of our expectations so often because our lives are not characterized by righteousness and devotion to the Lord. When this baby Jesus grew up into adulthood and preached his most famous sermon, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. A lot of people look at that verse, they say, they will see God, and they think that's a reference to some far-off, distant future thing. In other words, heaven. But that's not what it's saying. The pure in heart will see God today. This verse is talking about communion with God. It's talking about sensing the very presence of God upon your life now. The pure in heart will see God. One pastor illustrates it this way. He says, in my experience, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God has been the most helpful verse in the Bible in battling the temptation to lust. The key is that Jesus fights pleasure with pleasure. Sexual impurity can be pleasing in the moment, but Jesus promises a greater blessing for the pure in heart. They will see God. Years ago, there was a house in our neighborhood I often went past on my way to work. I don't know who lived there, never met anyone from the house, but frequently in the summer, a young lady in an immodest bathing suit would wash the car in the driveway. Matthew 5.8 was the sword I used to slay my temptation to turn my head and take a look. I thought to myself, I want to see God. I want to know God. I don't want to feel distant from him the rest of the day. I know fellowship with God is better Then a three-second glance. Simeon was a man pure in heart. And therefore, he saw God. So Christmas affords us an opportunity to ask the question, Am I 
pure in heart. Of course, everyone, I hope, will admit the need for improvement there. And that's good. Because spiritual reformation begins with confessing sin and receiving forgiveness. Repentance is and isn't a one-time event. All of life is repentance. The righteous person, the devout person, isn't sinless. But rather is quick to agree with God on their failings. You want to know what confession is? That's what it is. Confession is just simply me agreeing with God's assessment of my life. The way he sees it, not the way I see it. The way he truly sees it, not some projection I put on him. Confession is agreeing with God's assessment of my life. But spiritual reformation doesn't just involve confession. It also involves consecration. Confession, consecration. That is, what do you resolve to do differently? I don't want to look at those websites anymore. I don't want to say those things on social media anymore. I don't want my Bible to remain on my shelf day after day. I don't want my prayer life to be so anemic it's tantamount to ignoring God. The pursuit of righteousness and devotion to the Lord, folks, is work. It's a battle. It's a fight. Winning in this area of our lives does not come naturally to anybody. But we need to realize Simeon experiences Christmas the way God intended us to because he was righteous and devout. That's the first part of the answer. On the other hand, Simeon experiences Christmas the way God intended due to a movement of the Spirit. Just look at the text with me for a moment. Look at the role the Spirit plays in Simeon's life. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So there's a supernaturalness to this. Now, I do think on the one hand, Simeon's righteousness and devotion to the Lord creates good conditions for the Spirit to to work on him directly. He's not in a state of grieving the Spirit. But God is never contingent on our actions to do something. He is sovereign, as Simeon is quick to acknowledge in his song. And in God's mysterious and often unexplained movements, he sees fit to put the Holy Spirit on Simeon to reveal to Simeon he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he saw fit that Simeon would go to the temple at just the right time, at just the right time, To meet Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. It is the Spirit of God that orchestrates Simeon's encounter with the baby who is Jesus the Savior. I want to say that again so we don't forget it. It is the Spirit of God who directs the movements of these Christmas characters such that Simeon encounters the Savior. 
Christmas is a time for a movement of the Spirit. Question. For whom are you praying? Whom are you praying the Spirit would direct their steps to encounter the Savior this Christmas? One of the the glaring themes of the Christmas story is the sovereignty of God. Jesus explodes into Mary's life. There was no forewarning. There was no negotiation. Jesus explodes into her life. Jesus explodes into Simeon's life out of the blue. Neither of these people were expecting this to happen exactly as or when it did. So here's my takeaway from this. Don't ever be afraid to drop Jesus in the gospel into someone's life because you don't know how the Spirit may be directing their steps. Never, ever be afraid to bring up Jesus with somebody because you don't know, you don't know how the Spirit may be directing their steps. Now, there's something else to notice about the Spirit's role In Simeon's experience of Christmas, just look at his song for a minute. So he's holding the baby Jesus. He's got him in his arms. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. How in the world... Does Simeon perceive all of this to be true in the ordinariness of a baby? It's not as though Jesus had come as some sort of towering figure, a superhero, bedazzling royalty. There's nothing spectacular about this baby. But this baby arouses in Simeon profound joy and ecstasy and peace. In order to perceive In this delicate but ordinary baby, God's promised salvation, spoken of for centuries, one needs the activity of the Spirit of God. For goodness sakes, folks, think about when Jesus grew up and he's in the the prime of his his ministry. He's, He's performing miracle after miracle after miracle. And there were still people calling into question his true purpose and identity. But Simeon at sees this in this delicate, ordinary baby, all of this. How is that even possible? Because the Spirit of God is giving Simeon sight. Let me illustrate this using another of Jesus' teachings from his Sermon on the Mount. This is a verse that has often baffled people. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What is the deal with pearls and pigs? What does that have to do with Simeon discerning God making good and his promises through an ordinary baby. 
Well, the pig is expecting corn husks. And in comes a pearl. The pig is not given something worse than corn husks, like rocks. But the pig is given something better than corn husks. The pearl is immeasurably more valuable than a corn husk. But a pig does not possess the capacity to appreciate that. What does that tell us? Well, remember, a pig is a domesticated animal in the ancient world. They are not wild. Jesus is not talking about vicious people. He's making a comment about normal human nature. The way we routinely are. He's talking about spiritual insensitivity. Spiritual imperceptivity. That is, in our natural state, we are unable to perceive spiritual reality. So what do we have here? I think in Matthew 7, Jesus is making a comment about eternal life. Many people believe eternal life is receiving a ticket for later use. But Jesus tells us eternal life is something we have now. Eternal life is a higher order of being, a higher order of life, a higher order of sensitivity and perception. Eternal life, in other words, is next level perception. Think about this illustratively for a minute. There are different levels of perception in the material world. Plants are alive. They can sense something about their environment. They can sense coldness, heat, light, darkness. But plants aren't able to hear or see. When you're walking through the woods, you don't see plants scattering to avoid you trampling on them. Animals are also alive. But with animals, you have a higher plane of existence and perception. Animals can see and hear things. When you're walking around your house, your pet cat or dog is probably going to know to move out of the way so they don't get stepped on. But animals aren't able to sense or categorize or think through things like justice and injustice. Human beings have an even higher sense of perception because they do sense justice and injustice, tragedy, happiness. But remember, Jesus is talking about spiritual realities here. Animals have a higher level of perception than plants. Human beings have a higher level of perception than animals. How does that correlate to spiritual realities? Jesus is talking about human life without eternal life and human life with eternal life. In other words, (laughs) a pig looks at a pearl... In the same way, a human being without the Spirit looks at Jesus. A pig looks at a pearl the same way a human being without the Spirit looks at Jesus. Without the Spirit, a person may truly prefer Cartier over the baby in the manger. Without the Spirit, a person may prefer the Lexus December to remember sales event over the arrival of the Savior. Without the Spirit, they are passing on the pearl and settling for the corn husk. And Christmas 
falls flat. See, a pig is unable to appreciate the immense value of a pearl. A pig is unable to appreciate the exquisite beauty of a pearl. A human being without the spirit is unable to appreciate the true nature and purpose of this ordinary baby. Having the spirit is the next level of perception. It's a higher order of awareness. The spirit gives us eyes to see the supernatural reality in this ordinary baby. Third, Simeon's song teaches us something about this concept of consolation. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. What is that? The consolation of Israel has rich Old Testament background, but before we look at that, don't think for a moment that the consolation of Israel that Simeon is anticipating doesn't have applicability to your life. It does in enormous ways. I want to try to show you that. So Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. What Old Testament worldview is he bringing to the story of Christmas? Very likely, he's thinking about numerous passages in the book of Isaiah from chapter 40 onward. For example, chapter 40, verses 1 and 2 says, Comfort, comfort, my people, or consolation, consolation, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A little bit later in the same book, burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Or Isaiah chapter 60, for this is what the Lord says, I will extend peace to her like a river. And the wealth of nations, like a flooding stream, you will nurse and be carried on her arm and dangled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. And you will be comforted over Jerusalem. Likely, this is what is foremost in Simeon's thinking. He knew a day was coming when God would extend peace to Israel and comfort his people. What was the original context for these verses from Isaiah? This is a large section of preaching, and that's what you have to think about when you hear about prophecy. It's preaching. There's a large section of preaching from Isaiah chapter 40 all the way to the end, but particularly concentrated in 40 through 55. Isaiah preaches to the people of Judah before they go into exile, but the content of his preaching pertained to them while they were in exile. In 586 BC, the empire of Babylon invaded and conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, sacking its capital city of Jerusalem. A number of Israelites were transported to Babylon where they lived as exiles serving inside the Babylonian economic and civic machine. Why did this happen? Well, it was due to Judah's disobedience and unfaithfulness to the Lord. This should surprise nobody. 
After the miraculous parting of the Red Sea, where God rescues his people from Egyptian captivity, they spent nearly 11 months at the foot of Mount Sinai, where Moses received additional rules and regulations for how a redeemed people were to live in relationship to their saving God. Embedded within these covenant stipulations are a series of blessings if Israel obeys, as well as curses if they disobey. The big three themes in the blessings and curses are people, place, and presence. People, place, and God's presence. Central both to blessings and curses. If Israel obeys, the land will abundantly produce crops. They will dwell securely in the land. God will multiply them and and make his dwelling among them. People placing God's presence also take center stage when it comes to the curses. The land will not yield its harvest because God will make the heavens like iron and the ground like bronze. You can read about this in Leviticus 26. Instead of humanity having dominion over the land, the wild beasts will kill their children and destroy their livestock. God will afflict the people through their enemies. He'll eject them from from their land. He'll, He'll scatter them among the nations. Instead of walking among his people, God will walk against them. These verses from Isaiah are talking about a time of restoration. When God will undo the curses he's inflicted upon them. And he'll do so not because his people have finally gotten their act together. But because he pours out his grace into their lives. This restoration is completely undeserved. God's people will be gathered together again. They will enjoy the promised land and experience the presence of God. This is the comfort Isaiah was preaching to Judah. But this gets ratcheted up several notches as Simeon holds this baby in his arms. Not only does Simeon acknowledge Jesus to be the consolation of Israel, but this consolation is linked to salvation for all the nations. For my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. In Jewish thought, there are only two groups of people in the world. There are Jews and everybody who wasn't a Jew. Gentiles. Okay? So when you see the word Gentile... Unless you're an ethnic Israelite, that's you. That's me. We are Gentiles. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. This baby is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So picture Simeon saying these words while holding Jesus in his arms, gazing at the delicate features of of this helpless newborn. Simeon sees in Jesus someone who is going to do greater things than regather Israel in the promised land where God will dwell among them again. Simeon sees in Jesus the Savior of all nations who will gather people from every nation, tribe, people, and language among whom God will dwell. So what bearing does all that have on you and me in Christmas? Christian, look up here. You are an Exile. You got it? We are exiles. You want New Testament proof? I can see it in your eyes. Okay. 
Well, I'll give it to you. First Peter chapter 1. First verse. To God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. A massive, massive geographic region containing both Jewish believer and Gentile believer. All of them exiles. We're exiles. Simeon, exile. And like Simeon, you long for the consolation of God's people. Exile is not limited to those who are physically away from their home. Even people who are living in their homeland can feel a sense of exile when their beliefs conflict with that of the dominant culture. From this perspective, exile is the experience of knowing that one is an alien and perhaps even in a hostile environment where the dominant values run counter to one's own. In the broadest sense, exile designates every kind of estrangement or displacement from the physical to the geographical to the spiritual. Defined this way, exile of some kind is a common experience. I really believe that deep within the human psyche, there seems to be an awareness that we as human beings were made for something more than we experience in our everyday lives. We go through our days with a sense that this current world cannot be what we were ultimately made for. There must be something that transcends even the best of what this world offers. We long for a place to truly belong. A place that is home in the fullest sense of the word. Judith Thurman, a biographer and literary critic, put it really well. This is what she said. Every dreamer knows that it is entirely possible to be homesick for a place you've never been to, perhaps more homesick than for familiar ground. This is an expression of exile. Can you relate to her comment? I know you feel this way. I know you feel this way. Evaluate your experiences over the past seven days. Was there anything about those experiences that caused you to think, this is not the way it's supposed to be? I had one. 
as I watched my eight-year-old writhe on the floor with the temper tantrum. I thought about this. I looked at her, and I thought, tell me this is not the way it's supposed to be. In fact, I turned to her and I said that. This is not the way it's supposed to be. It didn't fix anything. What are you longing for? What are you longing for? Consolation. This is what you're longing for. Here's what I want you to notice. Simeon got the consolation he was looking for, even though his circumstances didn't change. He was still a Jewish man living in the Roman Empire. His circumstances five minutes before encountering Jesus were the same circumstances five minutes after. But Simeon still got the consolation he was looking for, even though his circumstances didn't change. You see it in there? (sighs) He says, yeah. You can dismiss your servant to peace. The consolation is here. How? As he held the baby Jesus in his arms, he looked and looked and looked into his face and his heart began to soar. Christmas is for your consolation. Jesus is the soul-satisfying elixir Cartier and Lexus and every other man-made thing falls far short of supplying. You want consolation this Christmas? Look, look, look into the face of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I know that there are people listening to all this and they are as dry as thousand-year-old bones, brittle, fragile. And Lord, they need this. They need consolation. That though there may not be a change in their circumstances, there can be a change in their soul's disposition. That they could look upon the face of Jesus. And experience what Simeon experienced. So I pray that for us. We need to look to Jesus.
as we do, God, I pray that our hearts would soar. And Lord, that the result of all of this would be us experiencing Christmas the way you intended us to experience it. We thank you, Lord, that the story of Simeon is there because in it we see it is possible for this event to give us such a profound peace we're able to say to you, now you can dismiss your servant. I'm ready. We worship you now for it. In Christ's name, amen.